Hi, welcome to Interrogatories with Josh Campson. This is your host, Josh Campson. Today we have with us Jessica Bednars, another Chicago, and this is our second one on the podcast for those of you keeping track. Uh, this is a very interesting conversation about the legal field and making law accessible uh, to people that you know don't make enough money to afford a lawyer but make more money than they could afford uh, legal aid. She runs the Justice Entrepreneurs Project at the Chicago Bar Foundation. She also consults with law firms on how to uh, make their practices more affordable. It's a very interesting conversation about both the practice of law, how lawyers interact with the public, and I think both uh, our lawyer and non-lawyer listeners alike will enjoy it. So give it a listen, and of course, if you do like it, rate us on iTunes. It really does help out the show. If you didn't like it, keep it to yourself. We appreciate listening and enjoy the show. All right, Jessica, thanks for joining us here on Interrogatories. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I was going to say previously, I would have said that you're our first Chicago uh, interview, but you are not. Uh, we had Dave Scriven Young, his interview uh, I recorded a few weeks ago. I don't know when this will release in relation to his, but he was on, so he beat you to it, uh, ah. fortunately or not. But I appreciate you joining us from the Windy City, schlepping all the way uh, I know here Dave, so I'll have to. I know Dave. I see, well, I used to see him somewhat often, not recently, but when I see him next, I'll have to give him a little punch in the arm for that one. Yeah. Uh, so you work at the Chicago Bar Foundation. Uh, That's correct. How did you end up working at a bar association instead of, you, know, you started as a practicing lawyer, right? So how do you, why are you working for a bar instead of representing clients? Oh yeah. So it's kind of a long story, um, which I'll try to make short, but. We'll edit down the boring parts. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Very good. So I graduated law school in 2009, which was an mm. awesome time to graduate from law school. And yes. those of you who did it with me know. Um, and I graduated, I really wanted to practice family law. Like that is what I had in my mind. And uh, it was just really hard to find any jobs at the time. I was just getting beat out by people who had, you know, five plus years of experience. Um, so what I ended up doing is starting my own firm. And I took on cases for a while. Um, and that was like, kind of the first time that I really started to understand what the practice of law really was. I mean, I had some really good experiences in law school, um, but it was at that point, though, that I started to better understand what litigation meant and what that felt like as a practitioner. Um, I was lucky in that eventually I did get to work for a family law firm. Um, it just took a couple of years to get to that point. But by the time I got to that point and then as I was practicing there, I was definitely starting to understand that I didn't want to be a practicing attorney um, or at least not do litigation. And then yeah. as I kind of thought about just different practice areas, nothing else had ever really jumped out. So I started to think, you know, what, what can I do with this legal degree if it's not practicing law? And honestly, at the time I had no idea, but I was starting to get really involved in the Chicago Bar Association and the Young Lawyer section. And I was starting to meet a lot of people and um, a position opened up at the Bar Association in the CLE department, which I, I wasn't like clamoring to do CLE by any means, but I thought it could be a really good opportunity to um, get to know the, the association more, but also just explore what it was out there. Just kind of meet a lot of people and just take advantage of any opportunity to learn about different uh, career paths. So that's what I did. I ended up getting the job, which was great. Um, and it did exactly that. I just, I went to a ton of um, events and just honestly, just any opportunity to talk to other people and learn more about other career paths. And while I was there, 
I that was really the first time I learned more about what the Chicago Bar Foundation did. And I it really resonated with me because I, I had seen myself like I could see myself working in nonprofit, but I didn't really know how to marry my interest in nonprofit necessarily with the practice of law when you're not actually providing direct legal services. So right. It was just interesting to hear about the work that they did. And I just got lucky that roughly a year later, they had someone leave and an opportunity for them to kind of reorganize internally. And I was able to interview for the position and I ended up getting it. So Nice. Now, somewhere in there, you worked at Whole Foods. I did. I did work at Whole Foods. Yes. And is this um, before it was owned by Amazon or afterwards? Uh, it was, I, I stopped working a couple months after it was announced that it was going to be acquired by Amazon. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so you don't know the answer to whether or not you get an Amazon discount if you work at Whole Foods. I'm just trying to I figure out if that would be a good answer. side hustle for myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know, unfortunately, but it was, um, it was a fun experience. And I can talk more about that too if you want, but yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I, well, why were you working just a little extra side cash, you know? No, so what happened was, uh, so I've been all over the place. So, I, so to continue the first story, I ended up working at the Bar Foundation um, for a couple of years. And I really enjoyed the work, but I was uh, not enjoying Chicago as much. And I was, my sister had just moved to Denver and I'd helped her do that. And uh, I discovered that I really liked Denver. So I decided to move to Denver roughly six months later. Um, I spent a year out there and I was able to find some contract work while I was out there, but it was, it's just the, um, the legal community is substantially smaller than Chicago and they don't have, and because of that, they just don't have as many what I'll call access to justice opportunities. And I wanted to continue to do the same type of work. And of course I should have explored this and figured this out before I just upped it, but I didn't. Um, Your words, so not mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was really dumb, but um, so I was there for a year and I eventually, you know, the contract work um, ended and I could, at that point I'd met a lot of people and I had a pretty good view of the access to justice community and what positions would be available. And it just didn't look like there were going to be much. So I made the decision to come back to Chicago. And as and I knew it was going to take a while to get a job, um, I knew the Bar Foundation wouldn't be in a position to hire any additional people until their fiscal years, the next fiscal year. So that was going to be pretty far off. And I was like, well, if this is going to take a while, um, while I was in Colorado, I had developed an interest in the conscious capitalism movement and had gotten really involved in that chapter out there. And I was like, you know, Whole Foods is one of the leaders in that movement. And I would just love to see if they really walk the walk. And like, if I'm going to get a part-time job to make some cash as I'm trying to find this full-time job, I thought it would be interesting to work at a company like that. So that's why I chose to work at Whole Foods. And I was there for just under a year. And yeah, like I said, it was on my way out is when Amazon had announced that they were acquiring the company. What's conscious capitalism? Um, it's really, it's a movement about um, using business as a force for good. So obviously every business needs to make a profit. That's the purpose of the business. But uh, the argument with conscious capitalism is that you can, you can do that. And, but then also really treat your employees and your stakeholders and, and do good for the community at the same time. And, and there's a lot of research to show that if you do those things in the long run, um, your investors will actually make more money. So you go from uh, Whole Foods, eventually you end up at the Bar Foundation, and now you're in charge of this Justice Entrepreneurs Project. Yep. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yep. So the Justice Entrepreneurs Project, or the JEP, 
Uh, it's an incubator empowering lawyers to lead socially conscious law firms and innovative businesses that offer value, cost-effective legal services and products to consumers of all incomes. So, Did you, did you read that? Were you reading I that? I did. I did because okay. it's a long it's, sentence it's a, and it's I want to get it's it right. It's quite the tagline. It's quite the <laughs> tagline. Have you considered shortening the motto or the uh, uh, mission yeah, statement? Yeah, we probably should. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, but I mean, yes, yeah, so, I mean, if we wanted to shorten it, I mean, in a way, what it is, is essentially kind of like the conscious capitalism movement, but for uh, the legal profession, right? So what the program essentially does is provide all the resources that lawyers need to start a socially conscious law firm. So one that certainly is sustainable and making a profit and hopefully providing, um, you know, a good living for the lawyer, but one that also is doing good for the community and that it's trying to do things differently so it can offer affordable and accessible legal services to people of all incomes. So really the target market is is really middle market people, but um, certainly they serve people above that and below that. So really all incomes. What are some examples of things that these firms, you know, I'm assuming it's mostly solos and two or three person firms. Uh, what are they doing that and what are the ways that they're giving back to the community? What is their conscious action? Yeah, so there, there are a couple of different elements to it. So during the, um, so our program is 18 months long. Um, there are a lot of uh, incubator programs all across the U.S. At, at one point, there were probably like 40 or 50 of them. I'm not sure the exact number today, but most of them range between 12 and 24 months. Ours is an 18-month program. And during the program itself, we actually have a pro bono requirement where all of our attorneys do 500 hours of pro bono work the first six months um, with a legal aid organization under a supervising attorney. And that obviously is a good way to give back to the community, but it also helps them build their skills because um, a lot of them are new to the practice of law or new to an area of practice in which they're building their law firm. Um, so that's one way. But honestly, the main way is we're teaching lawyers to do things like unbundle services and offer set fees and use technology to cost of the delivery of the services down. But really the first two, like offering set fees instead of, so not billing by the hour. And, you know, when someone call, comes to you, the law attorney says, how much is this going to cost? And they're like, well, you know, the traditional attorney will say, oh, it's a dollar retainer up front. And then my hourly rate is let's just say $300 an hour. And not really sure because every case is different. And it's not feasible for the average American. You know, the average American lives on a budget. They need to understand how much uh, legal services or a solution to their problem is going to cost. So what we're doing at the JEP is we're training our lawyers to offer alternative fee arrangements that are more based on value and not based on the billable hour. And just a few examples that we found effective in the JEP are it could be a set fee for an entire case. It could be a set fee for a task or, or an unbundled service. Um, it could be a set fee for a phase of a case, or perhaps they offer some sort of subscription service, so a monthly recurring set fee. Um, so that's one way. And then, like I said, unbundling the services, so giving people options other than just start to finish representation. Um, that's appealing to some people if they feel like they can handle some of the case on their own. Um, and then, yeah, we, there's a strong emphasis on learning how to use technology to bring the cost of the services down so that you can pass some of those savings on to the client. What kind of things uh, in terms So this this podcast is for lawyers and non-lawyers, but I think people would be interested in what kind of um, software are you recommending people use and how are they using that in order to bring the cost down? Because I can see, 
you know, we can get into flat fees and subscription billing and, and this kind of thing. And there's a thousand podcasts about that. But, you know, when I look at uh, technology, even though I can increase my efficiency, it also increases my cost. So depending on the technology. So there's a little bit of a leveling there and, and passing that savings on to the consumer. So what kind of things are you guys learning about and teaching about and having people do for their clients? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it hopefully is things that people are already using, like some of the basics are just practice management software, um, using Calendly to schedule things, um, maybe hiring a virtual receptionist to handle some of your calls instead of an employee if you don't need everything that they're doing. Um, but then also we're, what we're trying to emphasize more now is how can you use technology to possibly create or productize maybe some of your services so that you know you are putting some some money and time in on the front end, but then once you create a service where um, it's not you providing a one-to-one service all the time, it's more of like a one-to-many service. Um, then that way, that is kind of bringing the cost down. It's helping you create passive income, and it's creating more opportunities for legal consumers because again, if it's a cheaper or more cost-effective option for them that might be something, you know, maybe they just need that type of service. They don't need full on representation. So those are the things that we've been experimenting more with now is we have, we're, we're starting to get some attorneys to do it. I think it's, I think we're like, we're right on the cusp as an incubator program, but really as a profession too, where we're going to see a lot more of that, hopefully. Hopefully, although I don't know how much you're in the, uh, I don't know, the health and fitness space. I'm a runner sort of, um, and I used to be overweight, et cetera. So I'm kind of in this space and it's just the amount of courses I get ads for, um, speaking of productizing, you know what I mean? It's almost, it's almost too much. It's almost gone, you know, the other way it's gone too far. I mean, is that the kind of thing you mean by productizing, productizing? In other words, like, uh, here's your five course video about how to start open and run an LLC, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think it it could probably look more like that in a small business space, but in a family law space, for example, I think it could be um, using video and other and and a platform to help people do their own divorce. So it could be, yeah, there could be video elements of it, but hopefully also like showing people like here's the four views, here's how to fill it out, here are some things to consider when um, negotiating a parenting agreement with the other side. I think so. It is similar to that, but I. I think, I think more helpful though, if that, I don't know if that uh, makes sense. I mean, hopefully, I think, yes. <laughs> especially when you're comparing that to paying, I don't know, in Chicago divorces can be really expensive. I mean, they could be upwards of, well, if it's custody case, like upwards of like $50,000, which is just insane. Um, so I don't know the, those self-help or um, productized services are going to help in really contentious cases. Probably not, but there is a market for them that largely doesn't exist right now. I think Hello Divorce is trying to serve those people, but they're not in all 50 states yet. And there's room for other attorneys to come in and get some of that business. And especially, I mean, I just hope that we see more attorneys do that because I know they're the average um, earnings for a solo small firm attorney are not super high. And this could be a great way for them to, um, like I said, generate more income and more passive income. So hopefully they can also have more work-life balance. Yeah, exactly. And do you have anyone doing, uh, well, first of all, you said you have some attorneys doing these things, anything you want to spotlight or tell us about like one or two, and you don't have to, if there are incubator students or uh, clients, what, I don't know what the uh, appropriate term is, but if there's anyone that's out there that's doing this and already has, you know, 
something like this up and running that we should know about? Um, so we have one attorney uh, or one firm rather, because it's actually two, eight, two. Well, now both of the attorneys are alums mm-hmm. of the program, um, but they've partnered together to create a law firm and they do a variety of practice areas, including criminal defense and criminal records. So they've, they've used uh, after pattern to create an app that will help people identify whether or not they qualify for expungement and then to put those forms together and give it to them. Um, and they're in the process of, of, I don't know exactly how their process works, but then if the people need additional assistance, then they upsell for representation. Uh, I know we have a, um, a firm that just started with us. They're actually, they just started a couple months ago and she's offering family law services. And she herself is actually a non-for-profit law firm. Um, and she really wants to help all those people who, there's a ton of people who don't qualify for legal aid and still don't make enough to hire an attorney. Um, right. Even attorneys offering, you know, low end legal services. And so she's, I think she also used after pattern actually to um, create a similar system where people can go online. They can create that they can fill out all the documents, including the initial pleading, and then they get all of that for free. And then again, if they want um, additional services, then it's a good upsell for her. So those are some examples that we've seen. Um, One of my friends in Colorado um, does have a DIY divorce service that I was talking about with the videos and shows people how to fill out the forms. Um, and she's gotten some good traction on that. So they're, they're out there. Um, I'm yeah. hoping to get more and I hope, you know, as, as we have more JP attorneys do it, they'll just encourage others in the program to do it. We had a guest, uh, Sam Malai, and he's kind of a California, do you know who he is? He does like I don't. online marketing for lawyers, this similar thing, systemizing, um, yes. how to manage your ads, how to manage your intake, et cetera, et cetera. And he teaches a course. Uh, it's a live course though. But uh, he'd be a great speaker for your incubator program. Go back if you want, listen to the podcast we did with him, yeah. uh, and you can okay. kind of get a flavor for what he's up to. But similar idea. And uh, that was going to be my next question. You brought up your, uh, one of your students that has a nonprofit firm. Are you yeah. seeing any of that? You know, kind of a, a firm that's a traditional firm with like a nonprofit side? And how do they make money? Because you still have to spend, you know, <laughs> 50 hours on the case, potentially 20 hours on the case, whatever it is, are they getting grant money? Are they getting donations? How is that working? Yeah, that's a great question. So we don't have a ton of nonprofit law firms in our program. I think um, Amanda is only the second, no, maybe the third, actually, the third law firm. And at this point, we've had over 100 people come through. Um, so very small percentage. And the reason for that is we personally discourage it at the JP because it is very difficult to be sustainable solely through fees. And we don't want our um, incubator attorneys having to get grants and compete essentially with our grantees, our CDF grantees, right? (laughs) So uh, we don't encourage it. Um, I don't believe she is taking any grant money right now. I could be wrong about that, but I I don't think she is. Um, But there are are other nonprofit law firms um, and other incubators and communities throughout the US. I don't know if any of them are are 100 sustainable through fees. So um, for that reason, again, we don't encourage that model. We think you can be equally as effective being a for profit firm. Um, so, and then you yeah. don't have all the red tape either. Board of directors and this and that. Yeah, yeah, and I think people underestimate if they do have to get additional funds. Like, I think they underestimate how time consuming and tough it can be to fundraise. Yeah, of course. And I know you're involved in some nonprofits. And I see, are you on the board of the Utah People's Legal Services? I am. So, yeah. So, um, 
Jeremy Shimada, who runs that nonprofit that might be, it's, it's still going on, but it, it could be, um, it could be on its way out. We'll see. Um, simply because he might be transitioning to something else, but the, he was a law school friend of mine. So I have served on that board for a while now, actually. Yeah. So that's how it's kind of roped you in, even though it's in Utah. Yes. Okay. Yes. I, I don't know if maybe you were from Utah or you like drove through one time, they saw you were a lawyer and they just grabbed you off the side of the road. <laughs> I do like the state of Utah. I mean, it's a beautiful state and I enjoy visiting uh, Jeremy and his wife. Her, his wife is also a good friend of mine. Yeah. And because uh, you travel a lot, right? I do like to travel. That is something I really enjoy doing, which has been tough during the pandemic. But I yeah. really, I'm just an explorer at heart. So I, I mean, I enjoy exploring Chicago. I enjoy exploring the U.S., um, but I'm eager to exploring other countries as well. And how many states have you been to? I think I'm at 42. All right. You're almost done. Yeah, not too far off. Yeah. No, so I've been able to knock a couple of those out during the pandemic. That's been great. So you've explored Chicago. Which um, architecture tour is the one you recommend for people? Oh, the, anything on the river. I mean, I've done the Wendella one. I've done the Chicago Ar Architecture Foundation, I think it is. Um, they're all fun. I think any of them on the tour or any of them on the water, rather, will be great. They all have their own stories and you know, the, the basic history of Chicago, which is fun. That's okay, my favorite. So, Chicago no, tourism. you're not advocating for either of the specific river-based ones. That's why the number of times I've been to Chicago every time I'm like, Oh, I got to get one of these architecture tours. And then I never end up having time. Yeah. I don't think you can go wrong. I mean, they're all good. Good. Oh, that's good to know. Um, yeah, no, I could talk to you about uh, systemizing and uh, productizing and all these ising words uh, all day because I enjoy that stuff. Although some of our listeners might not, but that's okay. They can always fast forward through that part of it. It's very interesting. Um, but you also have kind of a side business doing a little bit of that, right? This uh, on-purpose legal? I do. Yes. On-purpose legal. It's a size biz that I have with um, the Colorado friend that I mentioned earlier, Lauren Lester. So this is a business we started a couple years ago. Um, and it's really focused on taking the mystery on how to profitably price legal services while also um, maintaining well-being. So it's something that it's kind of an extension in a way of a lot of the work that we're doing in the legal incubator programs. Um, but a lot of places don't have incubator programs or access to these types of resources. So it started actually um, with a conference that we did a couple of years ago in Denver, right before the pandemic, like two months before the pandemic. So she and I had gone to um, a Rachel Hollis conference. And for people not familiar with Rachel Hollis, um, she specifically focuses on helping women um, with small businesses and well-being. And she's um, so she puts on a really good conference and we went and I'd never been to kind of a, a personal development conference before. Like I was familiar with the concept and I read some books, but I'd never been to a conference. And it was just really fun. And we both left thinking, you know, why don't we have something like this for legal? You know, obviously there were some other attorneys in the crowd. Um, we know because she was asking some audience questions and some attorneys chimed up and we actually met a couple of attorneys, but I don't think there were a ton. And obviously we could encourage attorneys to go to those types of conferences, but we just didn't think a lot of them would. And we thought, hey, why don't we just develop something like this for legal? So that is kind of why we started the business in the first place. Um, we did offer a conference, like I said, in person in Denver, right before the pandemic. Um, and it was good. You know, we had a small turnout, but it was still, we got really good feedback about it. And our goal was to actually have one in Chicago um, 
in the fall, but you know, the pandemic. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tough. Yeah, it was a little tough. We did an online version of it last year and or earlier this year rather. And it was again, I still think the content was really good, but it's just not the same experience. Yeah. It's not the experience that we wanted. So we're kind of putting that on the back burner right now. And what we've been focusing on the past six, I don't know, four or five months really is um is pricing. So I've already talked a lot about pricing, um, not using the billable hour and really focusing on looking at what the customer values and tying your pricing to that versus time, which is what lawyers typically say, you know, it's not worth my time and blah, blah, blah. Um, so we've spent a lot of time updating a resource that the Chicago Bar Foundation put together in 2016, which is called the Pricing Toolkit. Um, we've learned a lot since 2016. So we've updated that and we're going to be sharing that uh, within the next month and it's free. And it'll be open to the public. So we'll be promoting that on social media. Um, but then Lauren and I also created an additional service, um, a pricing subscription service that is going to be kind of an add-on if people want it. So, you know, if they work through the pricing toolkit and they either need additional help or they're just really jazzed and kind of want to take it to the next level, um, our subscription service is aimed at helping people do that. So we're going to offer... Um, additional videos that kind of take deeper dives in some of the topics. Uh, we'll be offering template engagement agreements and templates for other things, um, some worksheets, and we will have a, a monthly live Q&A and live stream where we'll feature other attorneys who are offering uh, set fees and using value-based pricing. And then they'll have unlimited access to us through email for support on whatever they want help with. So the pricing toolkit is going to be from On Purpose Legal, not from the bar. It's actually a collaboration between the bar foundation and On Purpose Legal. A collaboration because like both sides of your brain, because you are both of those people, right? So you're collaborating uh, with yourself. For that reason, but also because the missions of, in order to, uh, both missions they of both match. organizations, they match. Are, are, they match, right? Yes. And in order <laughs> to further them, it is to help more, it's to get more attorneys to actually price, you know, using set fees and, and tying it to value versus the bill hours. So there was just a very, um, yeah, very obvious connection between the two. So, That's all right, true. this is the part of this show I call the lightning round because I don't have a better name for it yet. And they're not lightning questions, but they're questions I ask everyone that comes on. Uh, the first one is this. Do you know what the Oxford comma is and do you use it? I believe the Oxford comma is the, um, how do I describe this? The comma at the end of a list, like you can use a comma or not before the and or the or. Right. Is yeah. The, I got it. Yeah. Do, and do you use, use it? it? Yeah. This is the whole reason I started I, this podcast is mostly to advocate for my position on the Oxford comma. I do use it. Wait, what is your position? That, that was the right answer. That was the right okay. answer. We don't have to, <laughs> uh, although I think a lot more people have been uh, saying yes, whether or not it's because they listened to previous episodes or not. You know, we've gotten, we were first at like 50-50 in our first 10 episodes. And now that we're at like mid-20s episodes, we're more at like 75 using it. Um, so yeah, it's a, I'm advocating for it. I'm, I'm out there, you know, I'm pounding the pavement. I got to get something done here. I'm, I'm with you. I, good. I, that's how I was raised to use it. So that's what, how, why I use it. That's good. Uh, what, if any, superstitions do you have? I don't know if I have any. Um, this in, this includes um, weird habits. Like for me, if I'm in a trial, I will always park in the same parking spot every day of that trial. Um, I don't know if it makes a difference, but it's a thing I do. Things of that nature as well. Okay. This is uh, 
kind, I don't know if this is a superstition, but so I, um, I'm, I'm by nature of probably a pretty type A perfectionist type of person. I'm also one who likes to be in a routine, but I feel like more recently over the past several years, and maybe now this is why I'm in more of this type of role is now I'm actually, um, I'm very suspect of getting into too much of a routine because I think it's really healthy to switch things up and to kind of just stay on your toes. So it's funny, anytime I think I get into a routine, I actually start to get a little skittish and I feel like, oh no, I think I need to change it up, which is kind of new to me. That's interesting. Can you give me an example of that? Yeah, like sometimes like with just scheduling things or, you know, getting into a habit of like, I'm like now I've been going into the office like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, but after a certain period of time, I think I'm going to be like, well, do I need to switch it out? Because I, I just always need to be changing things up and, or at least reevaluating why I'm doing certain things. So is this like, you're worried about people following you and knowing your routes? <laughs> well, I am watching covert affairs right now on Netflix. <laughs> so it's in, so it's in your mind. Yes. It's in my mind. <laughs> um, what is something you hate, but everyone else loves? I'm thinking in Chicago. I feel like there are a lot of things in Chicago that a lot of people love that I don't hate. I just don't love as much as they do. So for the example, popcorn, the pizza, <laughs> I don't, I don't love watching sports. I think as mm. much as a lot of people here do, I am all for going to a live event, but if you ask me anything about any sport, probably other than gymnastics, I'm not going to be able to tell you the first thing about it. I can't even tell you most of the time if the Cubs are winning or losing, even though of course I'm a Cubs fan. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. It sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like you're a real diehard. Yeah. I'm the same way. I don't even know when the sports are being played. Right. Yeah. I know. I'm like, why is there so much traffic on Madison street today? Yeah. Yeah. I've run it's into that problem before for sure. <laughs> um, I don't even, I also don't follow what's going on in my local County all the time. I'm not great. I mean, I was during kind of the Trump era. I was addicted to the news, the national news and the New York times and you know, all this business, but I don't always read the local paper. So, you know, we had the Cosby trial here. Um, mm, yeah. and I didn't know, and I just like rolled into, <laughs> I just rolled into Norristown. Like it was no big deal. not expecting there to be like shenanigans, traffic and a million news vans all over the place. I'm like, what's going on here? Uh, wow. <laughs> that was a mistake. And now I read the local paper to make sure there's nothing big going on. What's something you get wrong almost every time you do it. Mm, oh God. I feel like cooking. <laughs> <laughs> so the pandemic, the early lockdown was tough for you is what you're saying. Uh, yeah. I mean, I actually enjoyed the act of cooking, but a good percentage of the time, um, I mean, what happens is, is I, I don't know, the really long recipes, I get really lazy. I don't want to buy all the ingredients. And then, so then I don't use all the ingredients. And then ultimately what ends up happening is I have this barely edible um, result. So yeah, I mean, I really enjoy the act of cooking, though. I love I actually volunteer at our local farmers market. Um, I love going to the grocery store. Maybe that's one thing I love doing that actually most people hate doing. I love going to the grocery store. I really do. I don't like to do ordering online for a variety of reasons. I love going there and just wandering around and seeing what's new that week. Um, but the act of actually cooking that and turning that into something edible has has been a little rough. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Um, this is the last question. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Well, I don't know if this is applicable to now. Um, and I didn't really understand at the time, but my dad said when I, before I went to college, he said, just have a good time and an education will come along with it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was true because I found after graduating from college, I probably could have spent a loss. I mean, 
I needed to um, learn the things that I learned for sure, but I probably spent too much time focusing on grades, for example. And, you know, after you graduate, learn that matters very little, if not at all. So um, I don't know, maybe for the practice of law, just try to have fun and and profits and other things I think will eventually come along with it. Maybe. I don't that, know. That's the hope. That's the hope. <laughs> Uh, well, Jessica, I appreciate you joining us. Um, where can people find you if they want to look, if they want to check out the pricing toolkit and um, all the other projects you have going on? Yeah, so you can find me at the Chicago Bar Foundation website. Um, that's where you can find the toolkit and other um, practice resources for attorneys. And I have a bio on there. And then at On Purpose Legal, uh, our URL is www dot a different practice.com. Um, and that's where you will eventually find pricing paradise. And then hopefully at some time in the future, um, not only other courses, but maybe also a, an in-person conference again. Hopefully. And yeah, look, yeah. you have it in Denver, free uh, food, quote unquote, you know, with it, people will come out for that. You can't get that kind of food <laughs> uh, in Pennsylvania at least. But anyway, I appreciate it. And we'll put all your information in the show notes. Make sure everyone to check out uh, the upcoming pricing toolkit, which should be out by the time this episode drops and uh, should be helpful to the lawyers and to the non-lawyers. Hey, check it out or you don't. You can talk to your lawyer you're going to hire about being more affordable. Well, there are a lot of attorneys, a lot of allied professionals who at some point, maybe soonish, depending on where you live, are going to be offering services as well. So they might also find the pricing toolkit helpful. Also true. Also true. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Interrogatories with Josh Campson. This podcast is a production of the Montgomery Bar Association in Norristown, Pennsylvania. Views expressed during the podcast are those of the participants and not their employers or the Montgomery Bar Association. No content in this podcast should be construed as legal advice. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to Interrogatories, which is available wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave us that five-star rating and review. For more information, visit us at www.montgomerybar.org.